In fact, more than invite, he longs for you, and he longs for me as well. So, um, yeah, well, we'll just dive in. Um, I guess it's your habit to stand as we uh, read together the morning scripture, and so let's go ahead and stand. And um, the scripture that we have, I, th- I think it's going to be on a slide, maybe. Yep, there it is. Um, we'll go ahead and read this, and then I'll pray. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your heart. For you seek to reveal yourself to us. That is amazing unto itself. And so, Father, in return, we want to open our hearts. We want to open our eyes. We want to receive all that you will reveal. So we pray that in this time that it would be another step forward in that journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the title of my sermon is The Longest Journey, and um, I know there, each of us is on a journey. Some people's journeys might look easy. Some people's journeys might look hard, right? And there are physical journeys that exact a lot out of us as life goes on and on and on. But there's another journey, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but it's the journey from what we know to what we experience in our hearts. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So the scripture that I read to you is, it's actually a little bit unfair because it comes after this beautiful parable that Jesus teaches and his disciples are then asking like, why, why do you speak like this, Jesus? Why do you, why do you speak to them in parables? And... Um, Jesus goes on to explain, and that's the part that we just read. So let me read the context of that scripture, the parable that Jesus is responding to. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell up, fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sold. And then he concludes by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand. So I don't know about you, but when I've heard passages like this growing up, and even as an adult, I go to fear. I go to a place of like, what if I'm the wrong kind of soil? What if some bird comes and plucks up the little seed or the little sprout, like my little, my little flowers just like trying to grow here, and it just withers, right? Because I'm the wrong soil, right? And that's the lens or that's the way that I usually have interacted with scripture, right? But that weird little piece that Jesus explains at the end, he says like, though seeing they do not see and though hearing they do not understand, we get a glimpse of that in another translation of the Bible, the message, that writes, they screw their eyes shut so that they won't have to look, so that they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them, right? So there's this place of where we kind of, we screw our eyes shut or we sort of close our heart to what Jesus is actually saying, right? Maybe he's not actually talking about what kind of soil it is as much as some other thing. Maybe it's talking about how the sower, the kingdom, is spreading. And sometimes it's going to look great, and sometimes it's not going to look great. Maybe he doesn't want us to go to fear that somehow we're the wrong kind of soil for him. So what I want to talk to us about is how do we get from here to hear? How do we not just understand words and sort of like stay in this place of analyzing and avoiding God's heart and let God's heart talk to our heart? So the good news is, is that we all have a heart. Depending on your journey, you may have been like kind of conditioned to feel like you don't have a heart, like that something's wrong with your heart. Or maybe you're like me and you're a feeler in life and you've been taught not to trust your heart. Maybe you've been told that you can't trust your emotions or your feelings or you're too weak, right? None of this is from the Lord. We all have a heart. Some of us may have easier access to our hearts. We might have an easier time identifying our emotions and our feelings. Some of us have had to toughen our hearts, right? Life has been too hard, and we've had to sort of wall off our hearts because the pain is just too much. Sometimes, depending on what church you grew up in, if you grew up in a church, you may have heard a sermon on Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this presents a real conundrum because if God speaks to us in our hearts and we've been taught not to trust our hearts, then we don't really know how to relate well to him. 
So the end result of all of this lack of connection with our heart is that many of us stay in our heads. A lot of the church stays in its head. We try to have a system for how life ought to work, how the faith ought to work. We have a lot of rules, a lot of ways of being that we're supposed to be as Christians. In other words, we have a prescription like you might get at the drugstore. You have a prescription for life rather than a relationship with God. So like Nick mentioned, my wife and I are spiritual directors. We meet with people one-on-one to talk about this sort of mystery of going from our head to our hearts. And in spiritual direction circles, we often say that the journey from the head to the heart, even though it's only this long, is the longest journey. It's the journey that could take a lifetime to kind of just continue opening our heart to the Lord and listening with the ears of our heart rather than trying to understand with our heads. But the interesting thing is, is that that long journey is well worth it because it is in your heart and in my heart that it is where the God of the universe longs to reside. So it's not just that we're loved. It's that God longs to live inside of us. So there's a slide uh, coming up that has a couple of scriptures that sort of reflect this. Um, The first is from 1 Corinthians 6.19. And it says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then there's a verse from Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And you'll notice in these scriptures here, Paul isn't writing and he's saying, it's kind of like God dwells in you, or it's kind of like God wants to dwell in you. It's like, no, God does dwell in us, right? So get our heads wrapped around that for just a moment, like like really sort of enter into the bizarreness of what I'm saying, that the God of the universe literally resides and counts you and you and you and you and you and me his temple. Like when's the last time you thought of yourself as the temple of God? Now, the funny thing about this 1 Corinthians passage at the top is that it comes, it's, it's sort of flanked on either side by two very well-known passages of Scripture, the first one being um, about not offering up our bodies to sexual immorality and, and this, that, and the other thing, and then the other one is like, okay, so do these things, right? And we know those parts, but we miss sort of the staggering reality of this little segment in between that says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is the thing. We go from our head, okay, I can't do this, but I can do that. And we miss our heart, which is like, oh my gosh, God wants to live within me. So as we sit with that, that knowledge that he longs to dwell in each of us just as we are, there are no qualifications. It's not one day when we're better, not one day when we're more healthy, less sinful, this, that, or the other thing. He longs to dwell with each of us in this room as we are. And not only does he long, 
if we acknowledge that he wants to be in our hearts, he is in our hearts, right? It's not like some longing that's not fulfilled. It is fulfilled in this very moment. So if we want a relationship with this Jesus that we talk so much about, this Jesus that we worship, we have to go beyond the head knowledge and we have to go to where he goes. If he's in our heart, this mysterious place inside of us, we have to learn to speak with him with our hearts. So there's another slide coming up uh, with some scriptures from John. God reveals God's self to us in this heart language because God is pure love. If we look at these slides, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we have to come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. And we love because he first loved us. So God is love. He's, you know, he does have order. He does have these things. But it all, the genesis of it all is love. It all flows from there. The question for us is, is do we really let love love us? Right? Are we attending to our heart? Are we letting this love that lives in our heart, are we letting it love us? Do we let it shape us and hold us like a brother in the arms of a friend or perhaps a lamb in the arms of a shepherd? Psychologists say that you can only give love to the extent that you have received love. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if I speak with the tongue of angels, like if we know all the right things to say, but if I have not love, I am nothing but a clinging symbol. In other words, there's a huge gap between the words of love and being shaped by love. Between knowing Christ and knowing the words of Christ and being shaped by the love of Christ. So to recognize and to trust his love is hard work. And so in order to learn to listen with these hearts, these sort of unwieldy spaces inside of us, we need to be in a practice of bringing our heart to the Lord. But if we open our hearts to the Lord we start to get in risky territory. What if I don't like what's in my heart? What if God doesn't like what's in my heart? What if I sort of open my heart to the Lord and I sort of sense something that's not quite right because I'm used to trying to get things right? Or what if God is kind to me and I'm only used to God being angry at me? What do I do with that? Maybe we find when we look at our heart that we have a fear of being too much or not being enough. At the end of the day, in order to get to our hearts, we have to risk being vulnerable with ourselves. We have to sort of let ourselves feel what's actually going on inside of us. So here's a little practice that we do at Soul Care Seattle, and I would invite you all to join me in this. It'll just take a couple of minutes. Um, we're just going to enjoy some silence. 
and we're just going to practice sort of opening our hearts. And if you don't want to open your heart right now, that's, that's fine. Take notes or just think about it. Maybe you do it later in the, in the afternoon in your room or at a park or something. But I want to invite you just to picture your heart, that weird thing that like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz received, right? It's like this place that we don't understand what it is, but it's in each and one, every one of us. So I just want you to close your eyes and just picture that place inside of you. And as you picture that place inside of you, just bring all of your objections, your doubts, your shame, things about yourself that you don't like, things about yourself that you believe are just somehow wrong. Just let it be there. You don't have to judge it. Just let it be there. Bring your joys. Bring your hopes. Maybe bring the things that you like about yourself that maybe nobody else sees. Just let it all be there. And the next step is to just let it all be you. It's okay. We all have things that we are ashamed of. We all have things that we're afraid of. We all have things that we hope for. It's okay. Remember, you are the place where the God of the universe has delighted to call home. And so maybe in this space, we can sort of picture God, however we picture God, just being in that space inside of us and looking around and just talking about the things that we like about ourselves, the things we don't like. And just notice how he responds as he settles into his home. And just let his kindness come up. And see how comfortable he is. What does he seem to want you to know about the way he feels about his new home in you? If he seems happy, receive it. And if it's, if it's hard for you to let Jesus be happy in there, then I would encourage you to talk to Nick or to talk with myself. 
right? There could be reasons why we think that he's not happy in there, but I want to say to each and every one of us that the God of the universe has a choice on where to call his home, and he's choosing to make it in you because he loves you. We can open our eyes now. So this is just a great practice that I want to encourage you to adopt, just to picture your heart inside of you and just picture Jesus in there. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. There's no unconditional love. He just truly loves you. So Nick mentioned uh, that I started coming to Calvary in the, in the 90s, and um, that was after a period of after having tried to leave the faith. Uh, I knew God with my head, and I knew I was loved, uh, but I also had all sorts of knowledge about my sin, everything that I couldn't accept about myself because I was so acutely aware of this sin and how God looked on sin. So interestingly, you may be the same. I allowed myself to trust my heart when it came to things like fear. I trusted my heart when it came to things like shame. I trusted my heart when it came to things like, like a, a self-loathing or a guilt that I couldn't get past. But I didn't trust my heart when Jesus wanted to be kind or gentle or whenever I dared to think that I could be loved just as I am. So many of you, well, some of you now, uh, know my story. And, um, you know, I, I share this because I want you to know that we all have stuff that has been hard. And it, it's, it's different for different people. But for me growing up, um, my, my story is, is that I'm gay. And usually you can't really say that from the pulpit um, or in a lot of different places. Uh, but I am. And um, yes, I do know that I'm married to Renee. That's a different story. Um, you know, please don't think that just because this one gay person is married to a woman that that's the answer for all the gay people in your life. Uh, that's not true. Um, but married or not, um, I have the same life experiences of abuse, of hiding, of fear and shame as my gay brothers and sisters. And along with my gay brothers and sisters out there, we share a deep struggle to know and believe that we're actually accepted and loved by our Creator and Lord. We have a unique struggle to believe that our Lord desires to make us His temple. Now, I use the word gay intentionally here because identifying as gay can be controversial for many Christians, but I hope that you'll use, that you'll indulge me this for just today. Uh, because I want to talk to you about how I talk to the Lord about my sexuality. So I was raised in the 70s and early 80s, um, and during the 80s, it was the rise of the moral majority, so you had this weird confluence of evangelical Christianity merging with uh, Republican politics mainly, and the focal point of the moral majority was to focus on the gay or the homosexual community. Uh, additionally, it was the time of the AIDS crisis, so there was a lot of fear, right? And the fear was about the gay community or the homosexuals. So going to church in those times, I grew up just over and over again hearing these clobber verses that talk about how homosexuals or homosexuality is an abomination. So as a young man growing up, you start to believe that you're an abomination, right? 
So everybody is here has an idea of who they are. We have a sense of who we've come to believe we are. Well, my sense was that I am an abomination. So sensing that God wanted or delighted to reside in me, to make his temple in me, was literally impossible. How could I, the person who deserved his wrath, believe that he actually wanted to live within me? No matter how much I knew his love or his word or his church, it just didn't matter. I could not trust or rest in that relationship with God. My heart had been conditioned to not trust love, right? God is love. But if all we hear, all we believe is how bad we are, how unfit for love we are, we're actually kind of teaching ourselves not to trust love. We don't understand that love doesn't care about how bad we are. It doesn't care if you're an abomination, (laughs) right? So having someone, well, my heart was not conditioned to trust love. Today, it is much different. I can sit with Jesus. I can sit with the Father. I can sit with the Holy Spirit and imagine there in that inner room of my heart, and I have a choice. I can imagine God living in me and that he's happy, or I can choose to believe that he will only love me so far. So when we enter into our heart, we have choices now. Is God happy in there? Am I happy with the fact that God's in there? Am I going to trust love? Having someone, God, living inside of you is shockingly intimate. Um, It brings up interesting questions. Is God comfortable with it? Am I comfortable with it? So going back to using this word gay, I found myself having to resolve this by just talking frankly with God about it. Like, God, I'm gay. Will you still love me then? Or are you going to pack up and move out of this temple? Are you going to look for another temple that's somehow more pure, more devout, more holy, more Christian, Are you going to trade me in for the temple of someone who is just better at being a Christ follower? Who do I have to be for God in order to, for God, in order to be desired by God? How could I ever be straight or pure enough? What do I have to think or say or do before God has enough and just pulls out and leaves? Right? But the other part of it, so that's kind of like wondering, is God comfortable here? But really, the other side of the question is, is are we, am I comfortable with God dwelling in me? Literally residing in me when I have to hide parts of me. If I'm hiding parts of myself, then am I truly comfortable? Like, if I can't bring my full self to God, if you can't bring your full self to God, Are you really comfortable with the fact that he's living inside of you? So I use this gay word, and I talk with God about my sexuality, kind of like a child, kind of poking at the parent. Like, are you going to love me if I use the biggest words, if I use the strongest words, if I I get angry, if I do this, if I do that? Are you going to love me? And every time it comes back, to this place where I can watch God with the eyes of my heart and I can listen with the ears of my heart. And I see 
that I can claim my sexuality, you can claim whatever it is that is about you. And that God does not recoil. God does not go away. No, no matter what we bring to God, God wants to talk. He wants to rejoice. He wants to share. He wants to weep. I've learned that God likes it when I'm honest, right? Like we don't want to be in relationships with people that are not honest with us, right? And so God's longing to live in us, to be with us. And can we open our hearts to be honest with him and just let him love us for who we are? God likes it when I bring anything that brings me joy, anything that brings me sadness, anything that brings me fear, anything that brings me shame, it lets God be big, and it lets me be like a child. God likes it when I acknowledge my thoughts and my attractions, even when those attractions are in conflict with his desires. God isn't disturbed by anything in me, and he's not disturbed by anything in you. Because if God is to be God, God must be sturdier than anything that we can bring to him. Right? He's simply not intimidated by any part of us. At the end of the day, what I hope that you receive as you look at God in that space within you, in your heart, as you bring the things to him, as you're honest with yourself and with him, is that you find his arms outstretched saying, I love you this much. Come to me. Be with me. Let's just be together. There's a slide of a good shepherd that I think is going to come up now. And as we look at it, with that sense of God's invitation to just be with him, I want to share with you from John 10, 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Right? Again, this is another one of those scriptures that used to cause me a lot of fear. Like, am I listening to the wrong voice? Right? <laughs> um, and that, I mean, it's an important question. But the idea is the heart behind this, right? The sheep know his voice. They know his kindness, his gentleness, his provision, his protection. They know that they belong to him. The stranger is the voice that I always was fearful of, which is the voice that tells me that I don't belong to the stranger. Well, the interesting thing, or that I don't belong to the shepherd, the interesting thing is, is why was I so attuned to the voice telling me that I don't belong to God? Right? We have to know the shepherd. We have to know his love for us. We have to feel his warmth, his cheek upon us. So think about the voice of someone that you loved as a child. Maybe it's the grandparent or a teacher or a friend. Let's go way back. Think if you can think of someone that used to just love the sound of their voice. 
Certainly there's a lot of voices that we want to forget, and I would encourage you to forget them. <laughs> but find the voice of someone that you love. Or maybe it's a voice that you never heard, but you know what that voice sounds like because it's the sound of love. And as you hear that voice in your memory, how do you feel around them? Do you feel safe, loved, cared for? It's that same sort of childlike warmth and wonder at the sound of that voice that our hearts long to hear with Christ. It's that place where we know that our hearts are safe, that they're loved and well cared for. So this, this thing happens to us as we grow up. We learn that we have to grow up, right? Someone tells us these things, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, let the little children come to me, right? He's okay. He's okay with sheep, and he's okay with children. Adults get in trouble a lot. But, you know, if we can sort of give up this sophistication and let ourselves just be comforted by him, so this brings us all back to Matthew 13, where we started, and why Jesus evoked the words of Isaiah. He said that they had all sorts of head knowledge of him, of God, and of God's love, yet they had not learned to listen with their hearts. They had not learned to recognize the eyes of love. Right? Maybe it was just too scary to open their hearts to him. So, but there's another answer to this, which is since the beginning of time, if you think about the story in the Garden of Eden, the enemy comes to Eve and to Adam with this temptation. God can't be trusted, right? Why would he withhold from you? You can't trust someone that would withhold from you, right? And so there's this idea that gets planted in us from an early age that God is not to be trusted, that that was never the way it was supposed to be. God wants to be in relationship with each of us. And so, like sheep, like children, we need to tune ourselves to the voice of love, to the heart of the good shepherd, to the heart of pure love. And if you will, there's this one last slide that I want to share with you, and we'll close with this. As we open up our hearts to God, we have to kind of ask ourselves a question of, like, is God really going to be in there? What's going to happen? So Paul puts it this way, and I'm going to read from the message. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, to set us right with him, to make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover that at the same time that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. So that's our invitation, is to open the doors of our heart to find that God has already opened his heart to us, and to just dwell in that space of love uh, I'm going to pray in just a moment, um, and there's going to be a time for silent reflection. Um, Heather and McGee will be up front to pray with anybody that wants prayer. And also there are communion elements. 
for those who just want to take this sort of heart-to-heart relating with Christ to a new level and just enjoy an intimate time with the Lord as he has given himself in the body and blood, in the, in the wine and in the bread. Let me pray. Father, we can't understand this mystery that you dwell in us, that you, that you have chosen to dwell in us above all other places. Such is your love and desire. Help us to move into this more fully and rest as your beloved children. In Jesus' name, amen.